Let's stay standing. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 6 is our text this morning. Um, if you don't have a Bible, uh, you can find this text on page 816 in the, in the copies of the, of the scriptures in front of you. Uh, we'll be in the first six verses of Matthew chapter 11. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Amen. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever, as Isaiah chapter 40 says. Father, we thank you for this word. Uh, we thank you for um, its, its, uh, its timelessness, that, that Lord, um, as in, in the midst of many attacks, um, your word has stood, um, and that's because, again, that the Savior uh, that the word points to um, is eternal, and so his word will, will stand. Uh, we thank you for our time in it this morning. In your name, amen. You may have a seat. As, uh, as the great theologian John Lennon says, um, I'm, I'm living on borrowed time this morning, uh, which is I borrowed time from the, the music team. Uh, one of the joys about uh, ministry and, and, and a life in ministry is, is, is uh, growing up with, with great friends and seeing them go on to serve the Lord. Um, and so uh, Thomas and I, uh, y- y'all, have a, y'all, y'all are in for a treat uh, because I got six points today. But, but it's going to be in about 20 minutes. Um, and so Thomas and I have the opportunity to, uh, to leave here uh, pretty, pretty quickly and drive to, to Shreveport, Louisiana uh, for the ordination of a friend of ours to the ministry um, this evening. Um, and so just really looking forward to that. And uh, we're living on borrowed time this morning. So um, Matthew 11, 1 through 6 um, is, a, is, a, is a very intriguing story. Um, I don't know if you've read this story. I don't know if you've read the, uh, the, the ultimate fate of John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 14, uh, but, but here we begin to, to, to see a little bit of, uh, of the, the narrative of the, of the kind of the latter uh, parts of life of John the Baptist. And so here's what we don't need to miss this morning um, as far as the context of this passage of Scripture and what's going on. Don't miss that, that this story that we read this morning um, has as its backdrop and context continual denials and rejections of who Jesus is by the religious leaders. And so really the last few chapters and a, a pretty good chunk of the chapters ahead of us in Matthew have as its content rejection of who Jesus is, denial of who Jesus is. And so in the midst of all of that, in the light of all of that context, we have this story. We have, we have uh, a guy who should be the most confident in a particular place of despair. And, and so keep that in mind. You would, you would think that at this point in the story, you would think that at this point in the narrative of Matthew about the gospel of Jesus Christ, you would think that at this point that Matthew might record that a, that a prominent person affirmed who Jesus was, right? 
you would think, okay, uh, so, so far we've seen lepers, we've seen all kinds of outsiders acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah, and it seems like now would be the time, maybe if, if we were writing this letter, now would be that time that Matthew ought to give us a larger-than-life figure affirming who Jesus is. Well, we are given that larger-than-life figure, but it's not certainty that we see, it's what? It's doubt. We see, we see as larger-than-life figure doubting that Jesus is the Messiah. And so here's what I hope that we walk away with today, that we walk away with the grace and the mercy of Christ at the center of our minds because of the way Christ responds to John's moment of despair and questioning. Because in today's text, what, what we'll see is that Jesus is dealing with the doubt of one of the main characters in redemptive history, John the Baptist. John the Baptist. He's one of the, the main characters. In fact, of John the Baptist, Jesus will say later in this text that among those born of women, there's no one greater. And so even Jesus is affirming the greatness of who John the Baptist is. We'll get into that text next week, but don't misunderstand as we enter into today's text how Jesus feels about John the Baptist. And so what I want us to deal with today um, and this week is the circumstance that John finds himself in and the doubt that arises from it. Now, Matthew records in chapter 4, uh, this, isn't the, this isn't the first time that we see John the Baptist in prison. Now, I think it's probably the same instance that John the Baptist is still in prison, but we see in Matthew 4.12 that John was imprisoned. You can turn back to Matthew 4.12. You can see that John had been arrested. And so the scene of today's text falls after the Sermon on the Mount and the early miracles of Jesus in both Matthew and Luke. And so that means that John's, John's, doubt, of, John's doubt of Jesus as the Messiah seems to be a clear result of the circumstance in which he finds himself, that he's in prison. And so... John, the greatest prophet who ever lived, according to Jesus, guess what? He doubted. Anyone in here ever dealt with that? Probably not. Nah, y'all are all pretty, you know, pristine Christian people. Surely, surely no one here has ever doubted Jesus or doubted the, the goodness of God or, or the fact that God has a good plan for us or that God is aware of us. I've found myself in, in those places. And so here's what we're gonna do today, very, very quickly. We're gonna, we're gonna, we got six things, but they're two different things, okay? They're, they're six things divided by two, which is what? There you go, okay. You didn't know you were gonna be doing math this morning. Wish Kevin was here. He'd make some kind of math joke. Um, but we're gonna see six things um, in, in two different parts. The first three things that I want us to see is three common reasons for doubt. We're just going to kind of take this and, and see what, what John the Baptist, what, what maybe is the reason behind some of his doubt. So we're going to see three common reasons for doubt, but then we're going to see three reasons for great confidence, okay? Three reasons for doubt and three reasons for great confidence. So there are three factors that seem to be behind John's doubt that are often factors behind the doubt um, in us. And so I think there's, there's, great, there's, there's some great application here, some great connection here. And so here's the three, here are three factors behind John's doubt. The first thing that we see is adversity or difficulty, difficult times, maybe, maybe being in adverse circumstances. John finds himself in what we would say is an adverse circumstance, right? He's in prison. 
He's been the one that his job was to usher in the coming Messiah. He went out into the desert. He ate locusts and all those things, and people went out to see him. And he said, my job is to prepare the way of the Lord. He was that guy. He was that guy. And so he is, in what we would say here, in a very challenging circumstance. In fact, in three chapters, we will see that the story doesn't end. It's not a fairy tale ending for John the Baptist, is it? as far as his physical life, as far as earthly life. In Matthew 14, we'll see that John doesn't get delivered from this situation, but rather he is beheaded by Herod. And so we we see that John ultimately is not delivered from his situation. But John was a servant of Jesus who boldly proclaimed Jesus' coming. And now he faces this insurmountable reality as he is imprisoned. And so, church family, one of the reasons behind much of the doubt that we face, as we see in John's situation, is the presence of difficulty, the presence of hardship, the presence of we don't know what's going on and we don't know why. And so in John the Baptist, he is facing a situation like this. The scriptures, church family, we need to know this. The scriptures do not shy away from the reality of suffering, does it? Like, I don't know where, I don't know where we have come up with this idea um, that that, in, that uh, I saw someone earlier this week in, in some, I know, fa- I hate to reference Facebook from the pulpit, but in this Facebook group that I was in, some, some person actually from another country who posted very confidently that in Jesus' name, I declare over you that you will never face hardship in this life again. And thankfully, someone commented and said, get this garbage out of here. So um, the, the scriptures, though, the scriptures, though, do not shy away from the reality of suffering. And so here's, here's the thing. We, have a, we, we are accompanied greatly in our suffering and in our adversity, first and foremost, by those who we read of in the scriptures who face adversity, but also just by the presence of the scriptures themselves, because the scriptures in the midst of our suffering give us ways to think about our trials and our suffering. In fact, James 1 and Romans 5, we won't, we won't read those full passages, but those are two references that I would write down if I were you to read about um, the, the Bible's truthfulness about suffering. Both of these texts speak of trials and that trials are always meant to produce something in us. I don't know about you, but it has been in, in some of the most challenging seasons. I don't, I don't speak of this glibly. I know I'm moving quickly, this is something that we ought to just sit and, and really take some time in, especially because I've, I've, I've been on the phone with several of you this week who are walking through trials, walking through suffering, walking through hardship. And so, so please don't take my swiftness in moving through this as, a, as, a, as being ignorant of, of what the reality in the room is. But what the scriptures say is that the trials, the trials that we endure in this life are always meant to produce something in us. And it's been in those seasons of my life where I have faced things that are challenging and where I don't know the reason behind them that the Lord ultimately has shown me why he allowed me to walk through it. And there may be very well be things that you deal with for the entirety of your life that you don't ever understand the reason until we get to the other side of reality. As C.S. Lewis says, one day everything sad will become untrue. Every sad thing will become untrue. And so the first thing that, uh, that uh, often leads us to doubt is adversity. 
The second thing um, that, that we see maybe in John, uh, John the Baptist's life, is disappointment. Disappointment. Now, maybe you're saying, well, those are two different things. Well, um, adversity, first, first and foremost, is, is, is really the challenge of living in the midst of hardship. What disappointment is, is having maybe expectations that you had that are unmet. Unmet expectations. And so we might see in this text that John, though he was a mouthpiece for ushering in the King Jesus, he had certain expectations of Jesus, right? We've talked about this, that the Jews had this this certain expectation of what the Messiah was going to do. Everyone had expectations of what the Messiah would be, uh, who he would be and what he would do. And it certainly did not look, for John the Baptist, those expectations certainly didn't look like him being imprisoned by the ones that he believed that Jesus was going to deliver them from. John thought, and a lot of the Jews thought, Jesus is gonna come and he's gonna wipe out all of our enemies on this earth. And here I am, imprisoned by those very people. Imprisoned. And so John may have had unmet expectations. He may have been very disappointed in in what he was going through. And often for us, in our doubt, doubt stems from disappointment. Maybe God not doing the things that we thought God ought to be doing, or that God doesn't have us in the place where we thought he might have us. And so sometimes disappointment is that. The third thing that we see um, that, that that is present in John and is present in us when we doubt is limitation, is limitation. John was the greatest man born of woman, is what Jesus says, but what Jesus didn't say is that John was omniscient. John was, John was the greatest man, but he was not omniscient. What omniscient is, is a very fancy word for all-knowing. There is one who is all-knowing, and who is that? Christ, God. He is all-knowing. But what John couldn't understand in his situation is that he was a limited, finite being who would one day die and who was not all-knowing. John Piper says this, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. And so we are a, we are a limited, finite people. That John may have been unable to see all that God was doing, that all that God would accomplish through the life of John the Baptist. And so here's the thing. We're not saying that trials and adversity aren't painful, but the truth is is that doubt often creeps in because we are limited people. We are very limited, but we have a limitless, omniscient, all-knowing God. And we can trust him in the midst of this. And so before we look at three reasons for comments, those are the three reasons for doubt. Those are three common reasons. That may not be all of them. And maybe I flew through those real quick, which I did. But we, we, we want to sit on these more deeply with you as we walk with you in, in community and in life and all of those things. Um, but before we look at three reasons for confidence, I do want to clarify something. And I want, to, I want us to be very clear on this because doubt and, and a lot of things that surround it are very prevalent in our culture at the moment. And, and you'll hear different terms that I'm not even going to really speak of at this time, um, but you'll hear different terms around um, the doubting of who God is and, and, and how we kind of form God and, and who we want him to be. And so I want to, I want to be, be clear on something in this text. What John is dealing with here is not a hardened disbelief. Do you notice that? John is not dealing with a hardened disbelief. No, John surely is doubting, but look what John's doing. It says in the text, look what it says. 
Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? John is not living in hardened disbelief as he is imprisoned. John is actively seeking understanding. He is actively seeking, humbly seeking, I would say, Yes, he's in a hard situation. It'd be really easy to demonize John the Baptist in this moment. Like, come on, John, you were the guy that called Jesus in, right? You know this, you saw this. God revealed it to you as a prophet. Why in the world would you be questioning this? John is, John is not hardened in his disbelief, yet he is actively seeking. And I want to say this. We have seen and we will continue to see the, Jesus, the way that Jesus does respond and deal with hardened disbelief later in this passage. So it's, it's really interesting. You have this portrait in this, in this passage in the whole of Matthew chapter 11. You've got a doubting John, and then pretty soon after, in the beginning of verse 20, you have Jesus responding to hardened disbelief. And Jesus will not deal lightly with hardened disbelief. What he will deal graciously with is those who are seeking to understand, seeking to know. And that is a, a beautiful thing. And so just know that the grace of Jesus is evident towards those who seek to know him. Jesus will say in John, I love this passage. I especially love it in King James Version. Uh, but, but in the ESV, it says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. In, in John chapter six, in the KJV, it says, um, I think, I don't even know how to say it. How do you speak like this? I think KJV, I will no wise cast out. There's a great uh, Puritan book on, on that very topic, the bruised breed, uh, the, the, the bruised, the bruised breed, the bruised read, <laughs> the, the bruised read by Richard Sibbs um, is really a book on, on that whole verse right there, that, that he who comes to me, I will no wise cast out. What a, a beautiful passage. So now let's now look at Jesus' response to, to John's doubt and see three great reasons for confidence. We've seen three reasons that often lead to doubt. Let's, let's look at the text and see three reasons for confidence. Verse four says, And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So Jesus takes time to respond to the active seeking and the active desire to understand by John the Baptist. And so three great reasons for confidence. First of all, church family, is the voice of God. The voice of God. Look what happens. Two men are, Luke tells us that John sends two of his disciples. So I don't think we, I don't think we have that here, just that he's sent by his disciples. And in Luke, it says two of his disciples were sent these two men come to Jesus, and look what Jesus doesn't do. Jesus does not rebuke John. He doesn't rebuke these men just from everything we can see from the text. He doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't, he doesn't um, reprove him in any deep way. He simply responds. And that's just kind of like the, the high-up version of what's going on. So the, the first reason for confidence is because the voice of God. Because Jesus spoke, because his word, words came out of his mouth. John doubted, and it did not drive Jesus into absence or to silence or to retreat. No, but into a gracious response. 
a beautifully gracious response. We see continually through Matthew that Jesus fully intended to be understood and accepted as God. So the next time that the, the, the men in the nice ties come to your doors and they're like, nope, Jesus didn't say he was God, just say he literally says he's God everywhere. Like you don't even have to like do verses. You can just like, let's just read and, and, and let's look below what's going on here. Jesus is literally saying he's God. And so Jesus fully intends to be understood and accepted as God. The, the scriptures, church family, intend for us to be assured today of the voice of God through what Jesus spoke. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. What a what an ast- breathtaking, astounding couple of verses of scripture. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. I'd love for you to go there if you can. Keep your finger in Matthew. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Hey, a great reason for confidence is the voice of God. The voice of God that spoke prophetically and powerfully through his son, Jesus. The second thing that, uh, the, the second great reason for confidence from this text is not only the voice of God, but the word of God, namely the scriptures. And so here's the thing that often happens in our, in our culture, in our time with doubt. Um, we, we, we try to, we, we, we doubt, which as we have seen, hopefully as we've established, we, we, it's not a, it's not a, Terrible thing. It's not a vice to doubt, to ask God questions. I hope that we know that. But, but what, we, what we do know is that oftentimes in our doubt, rather than going to the word, we go to TikTok, right? We go to, to other things. We go to all sorts of other things to, to gather and garner information. Look what Jesus does. Let's read this. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus literally just quotes the scripture to these men. He literally just quotes what the word says. So so where can you find these? Isaiah chapter 35. Somebody turn to Isaiah 35 and read verses 5 and 6. Isaiah 35, 5, and 6. Somebody just shout it out. Wow. Isaiah. Amen. Isaiah 61, 1. Someone read that. So that's what Jesus does. 
He says, okay, John's a prophet. He knows the word of God. John sends some men to ask Jesus, are you really the one? And what does Jesus do? He doesn't get into some deep apologetics debate at the time, not saying there's never a time for apologetics. But in this moment, Jesus simply quotes what the word of God said through the prophet Isaiah. And Jesus tells the two men, it's really even kind of a way for the two men to, be reaff- uh, to, to, to have affirmation in what they're seeing. He's telling these two men, tell John what you have seen. You're, you're out of prison. He's in prison. Just go tell John what you've seen. These things are happening, and these things were prophesied by the prophet some hundreds and hundreds of years before this time. And Jesus simply takes it back to the scriptures. God has spoken. I want to give us great confidence, church family. I want to give us great confidence in the word of God. You don't need that from me. The word speaks for itself. I want us to have great confidence in God's word and that God has spoken and he has displayed himself definitively and sufficiently through Jesus. And how do we know Jesus? Through God's word. That's how we know Christ. You're not out in the desert or on a, like a camping trip in the woods somewhere or you know, just like in your, in your private place and God just zaps you with this knowledge. No, we know God because of his word, because of what he has said in his word. If you want to know God, look at Christ, is what Hebrews would say and Colossians would say. And if you want to know Christ, look at the scriptures. We have great confidence in word. And this is how John gives assurance and confidence here by quoting these scriptures. I would say, church family, that this is prescriptive for us, for doubt. That when we find ourselves in the midst of doubt, that it is prescriptive of us. That the way that Jesus does this, it prescribes the way that we battle and work through doubt, and that's by being in his word. Because the word is alive, and the spirit speaks through the word of God. And so I believe that there's a prescription here by Jesus saying, hey, you, wanna, you, want, you want confidence? You want assurance? Read my word. Be in my word. And then the third reason why we have, the, the third great reason for confidence is, is not only the voice of God and the word of God, but the grace of God. Look at the grace of God on display. It's really the rest of chapter 11 that Jesus graciously responds to John. You, you, Look at the very end of chapter 11, that, 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 those, first three verse, those last three verses, the, 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 uh, the famous come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. Have you ever read that in the understanding, the context of this interaction with John? That John is, man, John is beat up. John is in this moment of despair, of doubt. And, 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 and in that context, Jesus is taking the... the the noble seeking of understanding by John and the hardened disbelief of the religious leaders. And he's saying, listen, those who are weary and heavy laden and who come seeking, come to me. And let me just say, again, we'll we'll see the very hard words that Jesus will have to say to those who are in hardened disbelief, both then and today. And so really the rest of chapter 11 is the gracious response of Jesus towards John. We, we, will, we will see Jesus dealing with his heart and disbelief, but all the way to the end of chapter 11, Jesus responds so graciously and, and mercifully. And so church, in the times 
of doubt that we inevitably face in life, there is a posture that we are to take. Mark chapter 9 is a, is a beautiful example of that, where, where the, the man looks to Jesus and says, I believe, help my unbelief. You ever felt that? You ever been in that place? Or I believe, I know what's true. I know what's true in this moment, but, but I repent. I repent that there are areas of unbelief in my heart and I need your help. And, and God is, the, the, the Son of God is so ready in that moment to comfort, to assure us, to give us grace. And in fact, Jesus tells us what his posture that he takes towards us in those moments where he says, let's just read this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The response of Jesus towards John is not one of harsh rebuke, but one of profound grace. Come to me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for uh, this, this word um, that you have, have preserved for us. As Psalm chapter 12, seven, 12 says, um, that your words are pure words, refined um, and kept and preserved. And so, Father, we thank you uh, for your gracious, powerful preservation of your word um, so that we may know Christ and so that we may know you. And Lord, we also know that your word is a way for us to know ourselves more deeply. And we, we, do, not, uh, we, we do not belittle the importance of, of knowing, knowing ourselves, knowing the, the, the places in us uh, where, where sin exists, knowing the places in us where we're susceptible to discouragement so that, Lord, we may more fully lean into who you are. And so we thank you for your great grace. Uh, we thank you for your great mercy. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who gave his life, who was, who was crucified, he was buried, and he rose again, and even to this day reigns at the right hand of the Father. And so, Lord, we have great confidence, maybe more than anything else, because the Savior who calls us to come is the Savior who defeated death, who rose from the grave, and, and through faith in what he has done, we can be saved. And so we thank you for that great confidence. We love you, Father. We pray these things in uh, the name of your Son. Amen.